who might be the biggest person we sometimes see as a terror. And, and I think we're going to be embarrassed when we admit we see him as a terror. May I suggest, well, actually, let me see if I can show you a pattern in the scriptures. Turn with me to Moses chapter 3. So Moses is being called into the burning bush. Old Testament, sorry, Exodus 3, not New Testament, not Pearl of Great Price. Exodus 3, but we're talking about Moses. So Exodus chapter 3, Moses is called into the burning bush. Now, does anyone love him more than Jehovah? Does his mom love him more than Jehovah? And yet, verse 6. Ashley, if you don't mind, Exodus 3, 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What? Keep going. Ready? Here we go. Ready? And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at him. Moses' initial reaction to God reaching out and wanting to save him and all of his people was to hide. How about Adam and Eve? After they had transgressed, because, I mean, they were not ashamed before, but after they transgress and they hear his voice and they know he's coming, tell me what they do. They run and hide. So tell me, who are we afraid of? Who might be the biggest person we see as tear and keep at a distance? The Savior himself. Now, why? Anyone willing to share why? I mean, that's hard to admit, right? None of us wants to say, I'm afraid of God. I'm, I love God. I love Jesus. I love him more than I could possibly say. But at the same time, how many of you are terrified of him? Now, tell me why. What scares us? Any thoughts, Ashley? The first thing that I thought of was... Just like the feelings of shame. Yeah, because I know that he knows everything that I've done. And our assumption is he must be disappointed in me. I know he loves me, but he must be disappointed. Isn't, aren't we just kind of naturally afraid of him? I think that's natural Let's suppose someone's breaking into your house. A burglar is breaking into your house. What two colors flashing outside would bring you great comfort? Red and blue, right? To know the police were there would bring you great comfort. But what happens when you're driving down the road and you see red and blue flashing behind you? Panic. So I think it's the same thing with Jesus. We love him and we're terrified of him. Because he knows, he's got to be disappointed. So I want to focus on that picture. You've, you've both seen the picture of Jesus knocking on the door and there's no doorknob. Tell me what's going on behind that door. He's knocking on the door. Let me in, let me in, let me in. What's going on behind that door? Are they rushing to the door to let him in? No, what are they doing? What would you be doing if Jesus were knocking at your door? What's the first thing you would do, Sabrina, if Jesus were knocking at your door right now? I have no idea. You'd clean up. 
right? You'd frantically clean up. In other words, I don't want him to see the mess. I'll let him in when? I will let Jesus in when? Everything's clean and I'm in my Sunday clothes. But when does he want to come in? Did you see that with the people you taught? When did they fully let Jesus into their life? I don't want, I want to clean up first, but what does the Savior want? When does he want to come in? He wants to help clean. But we're embarrassed to let him in when it's a mess, aren't we? And so today I want to talk about dropping that vulnerability and just letting him in with all the imperfections I have. I, one of my other students once, I think she just said it beautifully. I think she described exactly the way I feel. This is one of my former students. She said, let me read it. What scares me about letting him in is being vulnerable and this sense of being unworthy. Sometimes I feel like no matter what I do, it's never enough. I feel like when I'm asked to do something, I'm asked to do it perfectly. Again, I know that's not true, but I never feel like I'm enough. I just have it in my head that I have to be perfect or I'll be criticized or I'll dis disappoint others if I'm not. I don't want to let him in because I don't want to feel that feeling. I'm afraid of his disappointment. I've always had a hard time letting people in, especially those that can have a big impact on my life. And I always fear what I feel when and if I disappoint them, when and if they leave. I don't want to build a relationship in fear of losing them, especially if it is a relationship I hold close to my heart. If I don't let someone in, then they can't hurt me. I know he won't hurt me, but still there is a deep-rooted fear that he will by what he asks of me, and I can't be perfect. As soon as I feel vulnerable, this massive wall comes up. It's been like that for so long, I don't even realize it happens. And when it does, I push away whatever is making me feel vulnerable until I feel safe again and I've pushed him pretty far away. Would you two agree that that's pretty typical of all of us? The more we love him, the more we want him in our life, the more we're aware of our imperfections and we worry that he doesn't want to be in my life. And so maybe the biggest person I see as a tear that I'm kind of keeping at a distance is him fully letting him in my life when I'm a mess. At all of those moments. Let's, let's look at the scriptures. Let's see if I can illustrate this in the scriptures. Let's turn to the woman with the issue of blood. Find, a Mar find Mark chapter five and Luke chapter nine. Yeah, Luke chapter nine. So Mark five and Luke nine. Let's start in Mark. We're gonna to jump to Luke in just a second. 
Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now, a little doctrinal background. This woman has an issue of blood. Allow me to be, I hope this, forgive my, bold, forgive my bluntness, but this is a female thing. This woman has a nonstop female flow that never ends. And how long has she struggled with it? In verse 25, Mark 5, 25, how long has she had a nonstop issue of blood? 12 years. Now, I think you guys can understand how desperate this woman is. Now, under the law of Moses, while that was happening, you were considered unclean. Now, those are reasons we'll talk about another day. But a woman with an issue of blood was considered unclean and had to be ceremonially cleansed. And anyone who touched her was unclean. So do you see her dilemma? If she goes to Jesus for a blessing and he lays his hands on her, what has she done to him? Now, I think there's a symbol, right? Sometimes I'm worried that my imperfections are going to push him away. So she can't touch him and, she, and he can't touch her. So she has this great idea. What's her idea? I'll touch the hem of his clothing. So technically, I haven't touched him. I haven't corrupted him. I, you know. But where did she want to touch him? Do you remember? Hem of his garment. Now, that's not here, bottom of his pants. What that meant in their day is Jesus would have worn a little shawl, a little tunic with tassels on it. That was typical Jewish attire. And those tassels were the hem of his garment. And when he walked, he would have thrown it over his shoulder. So where is the hem of his garment? Behind him. Look at verse 27. How did she, how did she approach him? Do you see it? Mark 5, 27. She came behind him. Now, tell me what she's trying to do. She's trying to sneak up behind Jesus and get a blessing. Do you understand why? Can you at least sympathize as to why? A woman with an issue of blood, who according to the law of Moses is unclean, wants to sneak up and steal a blessing from Jesus. And how many of you have kind of wanted to do the same thing? Could I get the blessing, but not necessarily be noticed? Not too long ago, we invited a young woman to a, a, a mutual activity to go to the temple. And she said, I can't go to the temple. I'm not worthy to go to the temple. Oh, no, we're not going inside. We're just going to go walk around. And she said, I don't want to go. And then she said, I don't want God to notice me. And I thought of how many people wish they could just sneak up and steal a blessing from behind Jesus. Now, what happens? Verse 29. Ashley, would you read 29? Mark 5, 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of Okay. So tell me the emotion in her heart. At this moment, what's the emotion in her heart when after 12 years... She knows she's been healed. Tell me the emotion in her heart. Absolute exhilaration, right? 
thrill. Absolute thrill. Now that right there is the Messiah we hope he is. Isn't that why you went on a mission and why you take institute and why we read the scriptures? That's the Messiah we hope he is, that he's going to take all of my pains and heal them. And I will know that exhilaration. And then what happened? Jesus said, who touched me? And that fast, what happened? Now what's the emotion in her heart? Oh no, he's afraid, he's mad. He's mad. Okay, now we need Luke. So go to Luke chapter nine. Hold the finger in Mark, we're gonna come right back. But go to Luke chapter nine. Because there's this, what happens after he says, who touched me? So notice in verse 45, this is Luke, sorry, Luke eight, not nine, Luke eight. Mark is Matthew 9. Luke 8, verse 45, who touched me? And then, what are the next three words? Mark, or sorry, Luke 8, 45. As soon as Jesus says, who touched me? It says, when all denied. Now, how far away was she? When he turned around, how far away was she? She was sitting right there, right? So what did she say? Wasn't me. She's terrified of him. The one who just healed her, she's terrified of him. Not me. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Don't notice me. He's mad at me. Now, isn't that the Messiah we worry he might be? Do you see those two Jesuses? The one who healed her and made the problem go away, and she just felt thrill, and then all of a sudden, who touched me? She assumes he's angry, right? And I think that's the same assumption we all make if Jesus were to turn around and look at you. If all of a sudden he were to really knock on that door and you let him in, I think we're afraid he would be disappointed. And so it says, when all denied. Now go to verse 47. Well, let's go back to, let's go back to Mark. We can see this better in Mark. So go back to Mark chapter 5. I like that Luke adds, when all denied. Now let's go back to Mark chapter 5. Verse 32. He looking round about to see her. I think he's staring right at her. Can you just picture this? Jesus knocks on your door. 
Ashley's been home from her mission for a week. Uh, she didn't wake up at 6.30 this morning. She didn't do her scripture study. And Jesus is at the door. And your, your thought is, oh, no, I've, I'm so disappointing to him. Oh, I've just let things go. I'm not where I should be. I'm not doing what I should. Oh, he's so angry. I'm not the same. Right? He's disappointed. And the more he just stares at you. Are you going to open the door? Are you going to let me in? Are you going to talk to me? Can we have a conversation, Ashley? Can we please talk? And she's just, right? Her first reaction was, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Look at someone else. Go talk to someone else. And he's just staring at her, waiting. He's saying to me, Bryce, when, when, are, when can we have this conversation? When can we have a vulnerable conversation? And then I love this line. I love verse 33, fearing and trembling. Knowing what was done in her, she came and fell down and told him all the truth. That's scary, isn't it? Lord, I'm going to let you in. With all my weaknesses and all my imperfections, I know you know, but I'm going to be vulnerable. I am not all I had hoped to be. But I'm going to let you in. And we open that door. Do you know that scary... Okay, Lord, come on in. Come on in. Let me, let me show you everything. Let me show you the mess that I threw under the bed. I am going to drop the wall. And I'm going to be vulnerable. And I'm going to let him in. Now, when she faces him and lets him in and allows a conversation to happen, which one of these two is he? Is he the Messiah we hope he is, or is he the Messiah we worry he might be? Which one is he? Is he disappointed in me? Is he angry at me? Would my exchange, if I drop the vulnerability and I fully let Jesus into my life, would he be like, oh my gosh, Bryce, look at how messy your house is. Tell me the, the first word he says to her. After she, fearing and trembling, came and fell down and told him everything. Tell me what's the very first word he uses. Mark 5, 34. He says, daughter. Now, to whom would you say that? Without even saying another word, what's he saying? Which Messiah is he? Is he fixated on your mistakes? Is it disappointment you would sense? And I think we all need to get that into our head. How many, like, I know someone who has let her teeth go 
and is embarrassed to see the dentist because what's the dentist going to think when I finally go, right? Or, or like, like, oh, my car's having problems, but I don't want to tell my dad because he's going to say, well, why didn't you talk to me when you first, you know, there's always that things are worse than I've been putting on and I don't want you to know how bad they are. And it's that vulnerability that we drop with Christ. And we've, we let him in, 100% we let him in. Knowing that he knows, but knowing that it's not disappointment. I love that word. I love that word, daughter. She was so terrified of him. And what was his word? Daughter. Everyone who's terrified of him, if they let them in, what would he say? Son, daughter, now let's get to work. I want to work with you. Do you see that? Let me show it to you one more time. One more exchange with the Savior that you would think would be a shameful experience and was not. Turn to John chapter 8. This is the woman taken in adultery. Now, if you had just committed adultery and boom, there's the Savior in front of you. Tell me the emotion. Terrible, right? You love him, but in this moment, what would you rather do? I'd rather hide. Alma had that. Remember when in the middle of his sins, the thought of facing God did fill him with inexpressible horror. He says, I'd rather cease to exist. I would rather cease to exist than face God in that moment. Because what would he assume facing God would bring? I've just committed a major sin and now I'm going to be reamed over the coals for it, right? Now watch what Jesus does. This woman was taken in adultery. Now they're trying to trap him. That's a subject for another day. But he says in verse 7, John 8, 7. So when they continued asking him and he lifted himself up and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Did anyone qualify? Think about it. Did anyone qualify? He that is without sin among you. Was there anyone there that was without sin? What's the answer? Yes. Who was it? Who was the one that could have thrown a stone at her? And he did not. See, we read that and we're thinking about the other people, right? No one's noticing that Jesus, who could have thrown a stone, didn't. The one person who qualified and could have thrown a stone didn't. He is not going to throw a stone at you. That's not who he is. He could. He certainly qualified. He knows everything that you've done, but he will not throw a stone. Now, let me show you why. Did he judge her? Now, be careful. Don't answer so quickly. 
He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Is she guilty? Has she violated the law of Moses? According to the law of Moses, does she qualify for stoning? So has he judged her? He has. The judgment is guilty of transgression. But notice what he doesn't do. So they all leave because they're condemned by their own guilt and conscience. Verse 9, Jesus was left alone and the woman was there. So he looked up and he saw none but the woman. Verse 10, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, no man. And then Jesus says something that I wish I could pound into your souls. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Was she guilty of transgression? Did he judge her to be guilty of transgression? Does she know her behavior needs to change? And yet tell me what Jesus did not do. Now with human beings, judgment and condemnation are almost the same thing. But with God, they are not. Judgment does not bring condemnation. He judged her, even in saying, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, meaning you've sinned. Does this woman know she needs to change? But does she feel condemned? Now look at the footnote. There's an absolute beautiful footnote that finishes off verse 11. So grateful for Joseph Smith's edition. Let's read it. Neither do I condemn thee, Sin or go and sin no more. Ashley, read what comes after that. So a sinner guilty of one of the most serious transgressions has an interchange with Christ and walks away feeling what? How is that possible? That's who he is. You have to change what you expect of him. I think one of the reasons the defenses go up, I think the vulnerability is I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to feel the disappointment. I had a thought. Um, this last week in, in Come Follow Me, there was a talk by I think Elder Raspin, and he talks about um, the meaning of um, to chase him. And like we sometimes we believe because like Christ is the righteous judge and he's not going to condemn us but he's going to chastise us and to to chasten like with like the base root of it it means to purify it means to help and to lift and let's partner together and let's fix this together it doesn't mean to put down and condemn now the problem is all the human beings in our life when they judge us do what they condemn us and we come to think that the Savior's the same way. Did her touching him annoy him? Did it bother him? No. Would he ever open the door and see how messy the house is and go, oh, Sabrina, really? This is what you've been doing? 
Oh, Ashley, I can't believe what a mess your life is. Now, I'll admit, sometimes when I was a kid and I needed my mom's help and I, I let it get really bad, you know what kept me from going to see my mom is I knew she'd look at it and say, oh, Bryce. And I was so, par I was so paralyzed by the thought of disappointing someone that I didn't ask for the help that I needed. And that can't happen with Jesus. He is not a terror. You can't keep him out of your life. You've got to pull him in. Of all the people you need, you need him more than anyone else. But how many of us would be more comfortable asking for help from a friend than from a, a, a savior? And that is what needs to change. He should be the first person we let in. Because I know it's not condemnation I'm going to get. It's not disappointment. It's not him. Oh, I'm going to get daughter, son. Thank you for letting me in. Now let's clean up. I can help you. I guarantee any exchange I ever had with Christ, I would walk away knowing what needed to change. I would walk away knowing I needed to get better. Sin or go and sin no more. But I know with all my soul, I would walk away glorifying God, rejoicing. How can a woman who was taken in adultery face Christ and walk away glorifying God. That's who he is. He is not a tear. Swing that door wide open and let him in. At your most vulnerable moments, swing that door wide open and let him in. I love that and I love him. And I have learned that way too many people push him out because they're afraid of him. Let me leave with one of my favorites. Let me end with one of my favorite stories. Um, Ashley, you'll come to know that I love C.S. Lewis and I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Did you? I fell in love with Jesus in the Chronicles of Narnia. I fell in love with Aslan. I absolutely fell in love with him. And now I love Jesus more because I fell in love with this lion. So in one of the stories, the silver chair, this girl named Jill has come into Narnia and she knows nothing about Aslan the lion. But she is very, very thirsty. She's dying of thirst. She hears water running. And so she runs to where the water is. And there is this beautiful crystal clear stream full of refreshing water. And sitting right in front of it is Aslan the lion. She knows nothing about Aslan. Now, do you see the symbolism? There's the water. There's Jesus. I want to go to the water, but I'm nervous about. Do you see the symbolism? So. Here's what happens. <clears throat> Are you not thirsty, said the lion. Oh, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? 
would you mind going away while I do? Said Jill. The lion answered this only with a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Well, will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? Said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and ki men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. Isn't that what we often say? Is there any other way? There is no other stream, said the lion. Now, do you remember that fearing and trembling moment from the woman with, adult in, with the issue of blood? Fearing and trembling, she came. It was the hardest thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it for it quenched your thirst at once. Do you see what happens when you drop the vulnerability, you drop the defenses, you drop your fears, and you let him fully in. Not after you've cleaned up, not after you're in your Sunday clothes. You let him in when you're vulnerable. And I promise, he won't condemn. You will walk away glorifying God. Of that, I testify. He is the Messiah you hope him to be. And when you fearing and trembling, finally kneel down and say, Lord, I'm ready to have the conversation I've been avoiding for a long time. I guarantee the word out of his mouth will be, daughter. Let him in. Let him in without any fear. Will he change you? Yes. Will he clean up the house? Yep. But no condemnation, just help. Just a desire to lift and to help. And of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.